0: Psalm 145, one of the things that we try to do each week in our sermon is we try to answer a question. We try to answer a question that you want to know the answer for, a relevant question, something that you need to know the answer for. And we want to, we want to answer this question for you, but we also want to answer this question from God's Word in such a way that you can then answer the questions of others, right? That you'll be knowledgeable enough that you'll be able to encourage and witness and share with other people, you'll be able to answer questions for them. But then even on a more meta level, we want to answer the question, how do you get the answers to the questions? Now one of the things we want you to learn as we teach and as we preach each week is how can you open your Bible and find the key answers to the key questions in your life exactly at the right time we're trying to answer questions. So today I want to tackle the biggest question of all, how great is God? How great, how great is God? That's a valid question. Uh, for for many reasons, I think if we had an appreciation of the greatness of God, we would make many decisions differently than we make them today. Uh, it's relevant because if our nation understood the greatness of God, I think our whole nation would have different priorities. i think if if our schools, if our influencers, if our politicians, if our well, even if our church had a full and proper understanding of the greatness of God, it would change so many things. I think if we as individuals, as believers, had a greater understanding and appreciation of the, of the greatness of God, it would change our outlook in life. I remember reading a story in the life of Martin Luther, so a little over 500 years ago, Martin Luther. Uh, one of the leaders of the reformation, a uh, great uh, preacher and scholar and a Christian. Uh, well, he struggled uh, for a time with just debilitating depression. He couldn't leave his house. He couldn't uh, teach God's word. He couldn't write. He just went through a period of just terrible depression. Uh, well, his wife, Uh, Kate or Catherine, uh, she tried to encourage him, and she would tell him to cheer up, and she would try to help him have some peace and a different perspective, and nothing worked. So one day, you may have heard this story before, she puts on a black dress with a veil, and when he saw her, he thought she's going to a funeral, and he says, are you going to a funeral today? And she said, no, I'm not going to a funeral, but I'm grieving and I'm mourning. And he said, why? And she said, because God is dead. And he said, no, you can't say that. Don't ever say that again. And then she said, well, you're acting like God is dead. And I just wanted to join in with the grief. See, when we forget the greatness of God, it changes everything about our lives. But if we could fully appreciate his wonder, his majesty, his greatness, it would lift our heads, as the the psalmist says. We find the answer to the question, how great is our God, in Psalm 145. Now, let me give you a little bit of a background, and then we'll read through this. This is the last psalm attributed to David. David. A lot of people are surprised to find out that David didn't write all of the psalms. In fact, there were many psalms that he didn't write. Psalm 145 is the last one that we know that David wrote. This is an acrostic psalm. There are eight psalms that David wrote where he took the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and he would let each verse, or in one example, Psalm 119, each section... And it would begin with a letter and then the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, he would do that really as a, well, we think, first of all, to help people memorize the psalm. And so, just as when, we're, when we have young kids, we read these books where every page of the book, A is for Apple, B is for Banana, I don't remember the books, but uh, this this would give people an easy way to remember the psalm. In fact, uh, there was a whole sect of uh, Judaism that taught many years ago that if you would recite Psalm 145 three times a day, they said you would experience the happiness of God, the happiness of God. So he did this perhaps to help people to remember. He, he also perhaps did this Uh, just because the form of the psalm teaches us something. It goes from the first letter of the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, to the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's a way of saying that life from A to Z is about praising the Lord. You'll see in this psalm, he's talking about praising the Lord, the greatness of God, the wonder of God, the majesty. And he says in the form of the psalm, from A to Z... It's all about praising the Lord. Now, you may have noticed there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are only 21 verses in the psalm. How did he do that? Well, he skipped the letter N, uh, the letter Noon in the uh, Hebrew alphabet. We don't know why people have written old papers on it. Uh, it's a geeky pastor thing, so I won't share it with you. Uh, but that's why there are 21 verses and 22 letters, but it's, uh, it's mostly uh, an acrostic uh, poem. Well, let's just jump right in. Psalm 145, verse 1, I exalt you, my God, the King, and I bless your name forever and ever. That's key. So I want you to say those last three words with me, forever and ever. Um, I'm going to prompt you, okay? Okay. <laughs> I know you're distracted. <laughs> I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and, forever and ever. Psalm 145, verse 2. I will bless you every day and I will praise your name forever and ever. Very good. Look at verse 3. The Lord is great and is highly praised His greatness is unsearchable. Now, I want to pause there. We're going to read some more later. Um, But notice in verse 3, it begins by saying, the Lord is great and is highly praised. It's interesting, David is quoting himself there. Uh, This is something that he said in 1 Chronicles 16, when the ark of the covenant of the Lord was brought to Jerusalem, he said this. And so he says it again here. But then in the second part of verse 3, he says, his greatness is unsearchable. Now, I think that's pretty interesting. When David seeks to describe the greatness of God, he's going to tell us the greatness of God is And then instead of making some positive statement, instead of asserting something that's true of the grace of God, the greatness of God, he gives us a negative statement. He says the greatness of God is unsearchable, unsearchable. Now the the original word here, translated unsearchable, is a word that's used often, uh, almost 800 times in the Old Testament. It's a very familiar Hebrew word. And it is most often simply translated no. N-O-no. No. Now isn't it odd that David would say here his greatness is no, no. The, the, the word is also used to refer to something that just can't be counted. So it's more than just no, but I think it's important to understand that half the time, more than half the time, it's just translated no. Let me give you some verses where it's translated a little differently that, that gives you a little added understanding of what he means by no. In Psalm 105, 34, it says, he spoke and locusts came, young locusts without number. And so when he was uh, talking about this storm of locusts, Uh, he said there's no way to count them. They are uncountable. That's the same word. So sometimes it was translated no. There were other words translated no, but this is a no in the sense that you can't count. Psalm 104 25, it says, here is the sea vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number. So he says that if you were to try to count all of the animals in the sea All the animals in the ocean, that would be an impossible thing to count. And he used the same word. So it's no, 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 no. Not no in that it doesn't exist, but no in that you can't describe or explain it. What he says is God's greatness is, well, there are no words for it. God's greatness is such that no one can explain it. God's greatness is such that no one can comprehend it. God's greatness is without comparison. I want us to take just a few minutes and and just dig deeply into that. And we'll look at some further verses here in this psalm. But let's see if we can understand in what ways God's greatness is no. In what ways God's greatness, greatness is unsearchable. And so I'll give you three words uh, that are born out right here in this in this psalm. First of all, his greatness is immeasurable. Immeasurable. Uh, what does it mean if something is immeasurable? That means you just can't measure it. Well, we can measure everything, right? If you got a long enough tape measure, uh, you know, a hefty enough scale. Uh, Seems like you could measure anything. So what does it mean in this world, in our way of understanding, what does it mean that something is immeasurable? Well, to be immeasurable, it means it doesn't have an edge. It doesn't have an end. There's nowhere for the tape measure to stop. It doesn't have a limit. It just goes on and on and on. It is unmeasurable. It goes further and higher and deeper than anything else. And so we can't measure it. It means you can't find anything that is beyond it. See, if you can find something that is beyond this, whatever this is, then you can measure it from that point. But to be immeasurable means that nothing goes further than what you desire to measure so we know that God is immeasurable his goodness we see this in the remainder of the psalm mentioned a number of times God's goodness is immeasurable there is no idea of goodness no example of goodness no expression of goodness that is not true of God I mean his goodness is so, it is so unlimited that you can't even imagine an expression of goodness that wouldn't be true of God and a hundred times more. See his goodness, you can't measure it. God's power is immeasurable. There is no feat so great or so strong, no enemy so strong, that God is not immeasurably stronger. You can't name something or imagine something that would even be difficult for the Lord. His strength, his power is immeasurable. His beauty is immeasurable. There is no beauty in creation, no beauty in your imagination that does not pale in comparison to the beauty of God, to the beauty of God. God's holiness, his purity is immeasurable. No matter how closely you were to investigate God, you would not find the stain of sin. God's holiness is immeasurable. So when he says that God's greatness is is such that we can't comprehend it, when he says that it is unsearchable, he's telling us, first of all, that it is immeasurable. It has no limit. Nothing is beyond this attribute of God. Secondly, we see here that it is unbounded. When he says that God's greatness is unsearchable, he's telling us that it has no bounds no boundaries. This may sound similar to the first one, but but listen, our lives are filled with boundaries. Uh, You have a property line or or a door to your apartment if you live in an apartment, and that's a boundary. Uh, There are people that can cross that boundary, and there are people that can't cross that boundary. Uh, Law enforcement officers have jurisdictions. They have boundaries. Countries have borders. Uh, Insurance policies have limits, right? We'll cover this if you do this. We'll cover this, but not that. Everything in life has a limit. Everything in life has a boundary except the Lord. Now let's look back at Psalm 145 and I'm going to read a bunch of verses very, very quickly. And I just want to emphasize a word that appears over and over and over and over. In the original, it's the same word in every one of these instances. But look at verse 13. We'll skip down to verse 13. He says, your kingdom is is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for what? All generations. The Lord is faithful in what? All his words and gracious in what? All his actions. Verse 14, the Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. Verse 15, all eyes look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. Verse 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and faithful in all his acts. Psalm 145, 18, the next verse, the Lord is near all who call on him, all who call out to him with integrity. Verse 19, verse 20, uh, the Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. Verse 21, my mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. See, the Bible says that, that, that there are no boundaries when it comes to God, that God's love, God's grace, God's mercy extends to all of us. God loves all of us. God seeks to save all of us. There are no boundaries with God. These these verses, and I couldn't help but think of this when I, when I read Psalm 145 over and over and over, just trying to get the gist of it and noticing how many times it says all, every, all, every, all, every. I thought of some verses in the New Testament that say the same thing. Listen to these. I'll read just a few. First John 2:2, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of all the world. For all the world. Who did Jesus die for? All the world. John 3.16, you, you heard it read a moment ago in baptism. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that all people, everyone who believes in him shall have eternal life. I think of 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, he will be saved. See, our God is a God without limits. You are not outside the boundaries of God's love. You can respond to God. You can call on God today. You can trust God. You can confess your sins. You are not outside of God's boundaries Where God will not love you if you will submit and surrender to him, trusting him. See, when the Bible says here, when David writes here that God's greatness is unsearchable, he's telling us that it is immeasurable, but also that it is unbounded. The third thing he tells us is that it is indescribable. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of the psalm and uh, just read those three verses again, I'll make some comments. Verse one says, I exalt, exalt, that's the key word, I exalt you, my God the King, and I bless your name forever and ever. Now to exalt means to lift up. It means to recognize and describe how something is greater or stronger or more valuable or purer so I exalt. If I exalt something, I lift it up. So he says, I am lifting up the Lord, not physically lifting up the Lord, but I, when I exalt the Lord, I point to how the Lord is great. I'm pointing to how the Lord is better, stronger, wiser, gooder. Can I say that? I am pointing to how I am exalting God. I'm lifting God up above all other things and pointing to how he is greater. Now, he says here, I exalt you, but he also says, I will bless your name. Now, bless means to recognize the value of something. Uh, so when we say, I bless you, Lord, that seems odd sometimes to us because we think of God blessing us and that that is true. But The Bible more often talks about us blessing God. How how can we bless God? When we think about God blessing us, we're thinking about God giving us something of his goodness, God showing kindness to us. Well, and that is true, but what does it mean when we bless God? We're not giving God something, no, but we're recognizing God's value. We're recognizing God's value to us. God, you're valuable to me. God, I bless you. I recognize your value in my life. So, verse 1, he exalts and he blesses. Uh, He says he does this forever and ever. Why why do you think that we are to exalt and to bless the Lord forever and ever? You've heard the old uh, joke or story about... uh, The woman who says to her husband, uh, you know, you don't ever say I love you anymore. And he says, well, I told you 35 years ago, and if it changes, I'll let you know. Okay. So why does it say we need to bless God, exalt God forever and ever? It's an easy answer because that's how long it'll take. That's how long it'll take. God is... God's greatness is unsearchable, right? It is going to take forever just to communicate how exalted and how blessed is the Lord. Now look at verse two. He says, I will bless you every day and I will praise your name forever and ever. Now to praise something is to declare something extraordinary about it. I praise you because you are omniscient and you know everything. I praise you because you're merciful. I praise you because you're sovereign. I praise you. We, we recognize something that's great about the Lord. But notice it says that I will praise your name for how long? Forever and ever. Why will we praise him forever and ever? Because that's how long it'll take. You're not going to run out The more we know about God, we will never run out of things to say to him and greatness to identify in him. Now, with those two verses in mind, let's read verse 3 again. The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. So now this, this idea of being unsearchable, when you connect it with verse 1, that we will exalt and bless forever and ever, and verse 2, that we will praise forever and ever, this, this statement in verse 3, his greatness is unsearchable, reminds us specifically that we will never finish this task. We will never say all that there is to say about the goodness and the grace of God. We will never fully plumb the depths of God's majesty. We will never finish pointing out his features, his attributes of greatness, greatness. So what do we do with this? The unsearchable greatness of God. So what? Well, look at verse 4. That's a verse we've not yet read. Uh, Verse 4, he follows this uh, declaration of the uh, unsearchable greatness of God by saying one generation will declare your works to the next and proclaim your mighty acts. So one generation, one group of people, are going to declare the greatness of God to other people, to other people. You know, there's something special about praising the Lord in church. Can you praise the Lord at home all by yourself? Certainly. You can, and you should. But there's something about singing it together. I am the world's worst singer, I promise you. But when I sing out loud, I am declaring To you, the greatness of God. There's something about sharing what we uh, think highly of, what is important to us, with other people. So it says in verse 4 one generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. You know, I think there's something that's just bound up in us. We're created, it's interesting. We're created to share. You know what everybody's favorite pastime is? To share, to share. And I can prove that to you. Uh, why do men go fishing? Because they want to tell other men about the fish that they caught, right? Or maybe even tell some stories about the fish that they caught. Why, why, do, why do people go deer hunting? I'm not against any of these things. But sometimes I'll hear people say, well, I hunt deer because, you know, our freezer is filled with venison. Well, good. But the amount of money you spent <laughs> on all that deer hunting gear and all of those trips, listen, uh, you, you, you could have those uh, Japanese cows in your backyard for that. Uh, no, you hunt deer so you can show people you hunted deer. Why, uh, how else could we explain the hours and hours that people spend on Facebook and Instagram? I can distinctly remember when Twitter started. Maybe it's not when it actually started. I think it was, but it was when it was becoming popular. And I, I was behind the times, I suppose, but somebody on my staff years ago he was telling me about this, 140 characters. Uh, so short sentence, you can write stuff and it'll share with the world. And I said, well, I can't think of anything I want to share with the world that I could say in 140 characters. What kind of stuff? And he said, well, you could put on there what you had for breakfast. And I thought, well, that's nobody's business, what I had for breakfast. Uh, but people are so attracted to that. Everybody wants to share. Everything. My wife's in the other service. I think when we go places, they're not watching this on video. They're they've got somebody else preaching today. Um, you know, the most important thing to her is that we take all of these pictures. And I know the reason she wants all these pictures is so she can put it on some social media site, and you'll see them. And I'll say, Donna, how about we just look at it? How about we just enjoy it? I. Because it's bound up in our hearts to share. When you have a baby, you send announcements. When you get engaged, you celebrate with your friends. When you see an interesting movie, what do you do? Do you just enjoy the movie? No, you tell people about it. When you eat something really good at a restaurant, what do you do? You don't just enjoy the food. No, part of the enjoyment is what? You tell people about it. Uh, When you Have a new grandchild, what do you do? You show the picture to the pastor, okay? Let me tell you, all those kids look the same to me. I mean, no offense, but I think there's just one picture, and people are just passing it around. I don't believe you have a new grandchild. We wear shirts and hats to promote our sports teams that we pull for. Why does anybody care what team I pull for? And why do I care that you know what team I Well, it's bound up in us to share, to share. I really believe that is something the Lord has put in us. We express it in a lot of different ways, but that's our favorite hobby, sharing. Your favorite hobby is sharing. It looks different whether you're a a hunter or an Instagram diva, but it's the same thing. You want to share. And so look at verse 4 again. We've already seen verse 3, God's greatness is unsearchable. Without limits, it's indescribable. We will never finish talking about the greatness of God. And then he says again in verse 4, One generation will declare your works, your greatness to the next, and will proclaim your mighty acts. How do we do this? This is what we're created for. In fact, why did God create the world so that the world would glorify and honor Him? Why did God create rocks so that they would sing praises to Him? Why did God give you a breath so that you would honor God? That's the purpose of creation, and that's the desire to share is bound up within us. So, how do we do this? Let me give you one, two, three, four, and we're finished. I think the, the best way to do this is just to share the gospel. It's just to tell somebody at work or at school or in your neighborhood, um, I don't know where you are in this friend, but I want you to know I woke up this morning and I was so thankful that despite all my sin, I know I, I am right with God because of Jesus. Just something as simple as that. We can share the gospel. The second way we Share this one generation with the next as we gather weekly at church. I read an article uh, just this last week, a new Gallup poll, church attendance across America, all-time low, belief in God, an all-time low. Uh, Just about every metric, it's at an all-time low. Well, just the fact the church is important. It's important that we have a lot of people here and that we have places for children to come and youth to come and families to be here. We, just by our presence here on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night, we are helping to declare from one generation to the next the unsearchable greatness in God. When we invest in the church, financial investment. There are a lot of things you can do with your money. But when we invest our money in the church, what are we doing? Verse four, one generation will declare your works to the next. Sometimes I just walk around this campus and I mean, most of this, 99% of this uh, was built long before I'd even heard of Nacogdoches people through the years, through the decades, through the generations have invested here and invested here and invested here. They've given, they've sacrificed, they've worked so that, so that this generation, so that we can enjoy the fruits, so that we can sing and, and preach and in the summit service sing and preach all that because so many people invested. What if those people hadn't invested all of those years We can support, another way we share from one generation to the next is we should support our children and youth ministries. Uh, You know, everybody is first interested in what church does for them. What do I get out of this? What do I get out of this? And I hope you get something out of it. But you know, really the most important thing that should happen when we gather here, it's our ministry to the children and to teenagers and to families with children and teenagers because the greatness of God, the unsearchable greatness of God is proclaimed to the next generation. You should teach your kids about your faith in God. Proclaim the greatness of God to the next generation. So here's here's our challenge. I want to give you one challenge. Here it is. This week, will you tell one person A story about the faithfulness of God in your life. One person, a child, a grandchild, a neighbor, a friend, could you just have a conversation with one person and say, I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but four years ago, God was so faithful to me. And just tell them the story. You don't have to extend an invitation or sing just as I am. You don't have to do any of that. Let's tell others about the unsearchable greatness of God. And I think it starts by this week, we're just going to tell a story. People like to tell stories. People like to listen to stories. Tell somebody about how God has been faithful to you. And then if you do it this week, do it the next week and the next week. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts head bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, may we honor you by never ceasing to praise you, to exalt you, and to bless you for your greatness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.